Chapter 19, Part 2 of The Black Bag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Tomko. The Black Bag by Louis Joseph Vance. Chapter 19, Part 2 The Crown and Mitre. A rosy-cheeked and beaming landlady met him in the corridor, and, all bows and smiles, ushered him into a private parlor reserved for the party, immediately bustling off in a desperate flurry to secure refreshments desired by Brentwick. The girl had seated herself on one end of an extremely comfortless lounge, and was making a palpable effort to seem at ease. Brentwick stood at one of the windows, shoulders rounded and head bent, hands clasped behind his back as he peered out into the night. Kirkwood dropped the traveling bag beneath a chair, the farthest removed from the doorway, and took to pacing the floor. In a corner of the room a tall grandfather's clock ticked off ten interminable minutes. For some reason unconscionably delaying, the landlady did not reappear. Brentwick, abruptly turning from the window, remarked the fact querulously, then drew a chair up to a marble-topped table in the middle of the floor. "'My dear,' he requested the girl, "'will you oblige me by sitting over here? And, Philip, bring up a chair, if you will. We must not permit ourselves to worry, and I have something here which may, perhaps, engage your interest for a while.' To humor him and alleviate his evident distress of mind, they acceded. Kirkwood found himself seated opposite Dorothy, Brentwick between them. After some hesitation, made the more notable by an air of uneasiness which sat oddly on his shoulders, whose composure and confident mien had theretofore been so complete and so reassuring, the elder gentleman fumbled in an inner coat pocket and brought to light a small black leather wallet. He seemed to be on the point of opening it, when hurried footfalls sounded in the hallway. Brentwick placed the wallet, still with its secret intact, on the table before him, as Charles burst unceremoniously in, leaving the door wide open. "'Mr. Brentwick, sir!' he cried gustily. "'That other car!' With a smothered ejaculation, Kirkwood leaped to his feet, tugging at the weapon in his pocket. In another instant he had the revolver exposed. The girl's cry of alarm, interrupting the machinist, fixed Brentwick's attention on the young man. He, too, stood up, reaching over very quickly to clamp strong, supple fingers round Kirkwood's wrist, while with the other hand he laid hold of the revolver and, by a single twist, wrenched it away. Kirkwood turned upon him in fury. "'So!' he cried, shaking with passion. "'This is what your hospitality meant. You're going to—' "'My dear young friend,' interrupted Brentwick, with a flash of impatience, "'remember that if I had designed to betray you, "'I could have asked no better opportunity "'than when you were my guest under my own roof.' "'But hang it all, Brentwick,' expostulated Kirkwood, "'ashamed and contrite, but worked upon by desperate apprehension. "'I didn't mean that, but—' "'Would you have bullets flying when she is near?' "'demanded Brentwick scathingly. Hastily, he slipped the revolver upon a little shelf beneath the table-top. "'Sir,' he informed Kirkwood with some heat, "'I love you as my own son, but you're a young fool, as I have been 
in my time, and as I would to heaven I might be again. Be advised, Philip. Be calm. Can't you see it's the only way to save your treasure? Hang the jewels, retorted Kirkwood warmly. What? Sir, who said anything about the jewels? As Brentwick spoke, Callender's corpulent figure filled the doorway. Stryker's weather-worn features loomed over his shoulder, distorted in a cheerful leer. "'As to the jewels,' announced the fat adventurer, "'I've got a word to say, if you put it to me that way.' He paused on the threshold, partly for dramatic effect, partly for his own satisfaction, his quick eyes darting from face to face of the four people whom he had caught so unexpectedly. A shade of complacency colored his expression, and he smiled evilly beneath the coarse short thatch of his gray mustache. In his hand a revolver appeared, poised for immediate use if there were need. There was none. Brentwick, at his primal appearance, had dropped a peremptory hand on Kirkwood's shoulder, forcing the young man back to his seat. At the same time he resumed his own. The girl had not stirred from hers since the first alarm. She sat as if transfixed with terror, leaning forward with her elbows on the table her hands tightly clasped, her face, a little blanched, turned to the door. But her scarlet lips were set and firm with inflexible purpose, and her brown eyes met Calendar's with a look level and unflinching. Beyond this she gave no sign of recognition. Nearest of the four to the adventurers was Charles. The mechanician paused in affrighted astonishment at sight of the revolver. Calendar, choosing to advance suddenly, poked the muzzle of the weapon jocularly in the man's ribs. "'Beat it, four eyes!' he snapped. "'This is your cue to duck. Get out of my way!' The mechanician jumped as if shot, then hastily retreated to the table, his sallow features working beneath the goggle mask which had excited the fat adventurer's scorn. "'Come right in, Captain!' Calendar threw over one shoulder. Come in, shut the door, and lock it. Let's all be sociable and have a nice, quiet time. Stryker obeyed with a derisive grimace for Kirkwood. Calendar, advancing jauntily to a point within a yard of the table, stopped, smiling affably down upon his prospective victims, and airily twirling his revolver. Good evening, all, he saluted them blandly. Dorothy! "'My child,' with assumed concern, "'you're looking a trifle upset. "'I'm afraid you've been keeping late hours. "'Little girls must be careful, you know, "'or they lose the bloom of roses in their cheeks. "'Mr. Kirkwood, it's a pleasure to meet you again. "'Permit me to paraphrase your most sound advice "'and remind you that pistol shots "'are apt to attract undesirable attention. "'It wouldn't be wise for you to bring the police about our ears.' I believe that in substance such was your sapient counsel to me in the cabin of the Althea, was it not? And you, sir, fixing Brentwick with a cold, unfriendly eye, you animated fossil, what do you mean by telling me to go to the devil? But let that pass, I hold no grudge. What might your name be? It might be Brentwick, said that gentleman placidly. Brentwick, eh? Well, I like a man of spirit, but permit me to advise you. Gladly, nodded Brentwick. Eh? Don't come a second time between father and daughter. Another man might not be as patient as I, Mr. Brentwick. There's a law in the land, if you don't happen to know it. 
"'I congratulate you on your success in evading it,' observed Brentwick, undisturbed. "'And it was considerate of you not to employ it in this instance.' Then, with a sharp change of tone, "'Come, sir,' he demanded, "'you have unwarrantably intruded in this room, which I have engaged for my private use. Get through with your business, and be off with you.' "'All in my good time, my antediluvian friend.' When I've found up my business here, I'll go. Not before. But, just to oblige you, we'll get down to it. Kirkwood, you have a revolver of mine. Be good enough to return it. I have it here, under the table, interrupted Brentwick suavely. Shall I hand it to you? By the muzzle, if you please. Be very careful. This one's loaded, too. Apt to explode any minute. To Kirkwood's intense disgust, Brentwick quietly slipped one hand beneath the table and, placing the revolver on its top, delicately, with his fingertips, shoved it toward the farther edge. With a grunt of approval, Calendar swept the weapon up and into his pocket. "'Any more ordinance?' he inquired briskly, eyes moving alertly from face to face. "'No matter. You wouldn't dare use him anyway. And I'm about done.' "'Dorothy, my dear, it's high time you return to your father's protection. "'Where's that Gladstone bag?' "'In my traveling bag,' the girl told him in a toneless voice. "'Then you may bring it along. "'You may also say good-night to the kind gentleman.' "'Dorothy did not move. "'Her pallor grew more intense, "'and Kirkwood saw her knuckles tighten beneath the gloves. "'Otherwise her mouth seemed to grow more straight and hard. "'Dorothy!' cried the adventurer with a touch of displeasure. "'You heard me?' "'I heard you,' she replied a little wearily, more than a little contemptuously. "'Don't mind him, please, Mr. Kirkwood.' With an appealing gesture, as Kirkwood, unable to contain himself, moved restlessly in his chair, threatening to rise. "'Don't say anything. I have no intention whatever of going with this man.' Calendar's features twitched nervously. He chewed a corner of his moustache, fixing the girl with a black stare. "'I presume,' he remarked after a moment, with slow deliberation, "'you are aware that, as your father, I am in a position to compel you to accompany me.' "'I shall not go with you,' iterated Dorothy in a level tone. "'You may threaten me, but I shall not go. Mr. Brentwick and Mr. Kirkwood are taking me to—' friends, who will give me a home until I find a way to take care of myself. That is all I have to say to you. "'Bravo, my dear!' cried Brentwick encouragingly. "'Mind your business, sir!' thundered Calendar, his face darkening. Then to Dorothy, "'You understand, I trust, what this means?' he demanded. "'I offer you a home, and a good one. Refuse, and you work for your living, my girl. You've forfeited your legacy.' "'I know, I know,' she told him in cold disdain. "'I am content. Won't you be kind enough to leave me alone?' For a breath, Calendar glowered over her. Then, "'I presume,' he observed, "'that all these heroics are inspired by that whippersnapper Kirkwood. "'Do you know that he hasn't a brass farthing to bless himself with?' "'What has that?' cried the girl indignantly. "'Why, it has everything to do with me, my child. "'As your doting parent, I can't consent to your marrying nothing a year. "'For I surmise you intend to marry this Mr. Kirkwood, don't you?' 
There followed a little interval of silence, while the warm blood flamed in the girl's face, and the red lips trembled as she faced her tormentor. Then, with a quaver that escaped her control, "'If Mr. Kirkwood asks me, I shall,' she stated very simply. "'That,' interposed Kirkwood, "'is completely understood.' His gaze sought her eyes, but she looked away. "'You forget that I am your father,' sneered Calendar, "'and that you are a minor.' I can refuse my consent. But you won't, Kirkwood told him with assurance. The adventurer stared. No, he agreed, after slight hesitation. No, I shan't interfere. Take her, my boy, if you want her, and a father's blessing into the bargain. The Lord knows I've troubles enough. A parent's lot is not what it's cracked up to be. He paused, leering, ironic. But— deliberately, there's still this matter of the Gladstone bag. I don't mind abandoning my parental authority, when my child's happiness is concerned, but as for my property— It is not your property, interrupted the girl. It was your mother's, dear child. It's now mine. I dispute that assertion, Kirkwood put in. You may dispute it till the cows come home, my boy. The fact will remain that I intend to take my property with me when I leave this room whether you like it or not. Now, are you disposed to continue the argument, or may I count on your being sensible? You may put away your revolver, if that's what you mean, said Kirkwood. We certainly shan't oppose you with violence. But I warn you that Scotland Yard— Oh, that be blowed, the adventurer snorted in disgust. I can sail circles round any tech that ever blew out of Scotland Yard— give me an hour's start and you're free to do all the funny business you've a mind to with scotland yard then you admit queried brentwick civilly that you've no legal title to the jewels in dispute look here my friend chuckled calendar when you catch me admitting anything you write it down in your little book and tell the bobby on the corner just at present i've got other business than to stand round admitting anything about anything captain let's have that bag of my dutiful daughters "'Ere you are,' Stryker spoke for the first time since entering the room, taking the valise from beneath the chair and depositing it on the table. "'Well, we shan't take anything that doesn't belong to us,' laughed Calendar, fumbling with the catch. "'Not even so small a matter as my own child's traveling bag.' "'A small, heavy, gladstone bag,' he grunted, opening the valise, and pledging in one greedy hand, "'will just about do for mine.' with which he produced the article mentioned. "'This for the discard, Captain,' he laughed contentedly, pushing the girl's valise aside, and, rumbling with stentorian mirth, stood beaming benignantly over the assembled company. "'Why,' he exclaimed, "'this moment is worth all it cost me. My children, I forgive you freely.' Mr. Cookwood, I felicitate you cordially on having secured a most expensive wife. "'Really?' you know, I feel as if I ought to do a little something for you both. Gurgling with delight, he smote his fat palms together. I just tell you what, he resumed, no one yet ever called Georgie Callender a tightwad. I just believe I'm going to make you kids a handsome wedding present. The good Lord knows there's enough of this for a fellow to be a little generous and never miss it. The thick model fingers tore nervously at the catch. Eventually he got the bag open. 
those about the table bent forward, all quickened by the prospect of, for the first time, beholding the treasure over which they had fought, for which they had suffered so long. A heady and luscious fragrance pervaded the atmosphere, exhaling from the open mouth of the bag. A silence, indefinitely sustained, impressed itself upon the little audience. A breathless pause ended eventually by a short snap of Calendar's teeth. Hmm, grunted the adventurer in bewilderment. He began to pant. Abruptly, his heavy hands delved into the contents of the bag, like the paws of a terrier digging in earth. To Kirkwood, the air seemed temporarily thick with flying objects. Beneath his astonished eyes, a towel fell upon the table, a crumpled, soiled towel, bearing on its dingy hem the inscription in indelible ink, Hôtel du Commerce Anvers. A tooth-mug of substantial earthenware dropped to the floor with a crash. A slimy soap-dish of the same manufacture slid across the table and into Brentwick's lap. A battered alarm clock, with never a tick left in its abused carcass, rang vacuously as it fell by the open bag. The remainder was oranges, a dozen or more small, round, golden globes of ripe fruit, perhaps a shade overripe, therefore the more aromatic. The adventurer ripped out an oath. Mulready, by the living God, he raged in fury, done up, I swear, done by that infernal sneak. Me, blind as a bat. He fell suddenly silent, the blood congesting in his face, as suddenly broke forth again, haranguing the company. That's why he went out and bought those damned oranges, is it? Think of it, me sitting in the hotel in Antwerp, and him lugging in oranges by the bagful because he was found of fruit. When did he do it? How do I know? If I knew, would I be here, and him the devil knows where, this minute? When my back was turned, of course, the damned snake. That's why he was so hot about picking a fight on the boat, eh? Wanted to get thrown off and take to the woods, leaving me with this. And that's why he felt so awful done up he wouldn't take a hand at hunting you two down, eh? Well, by the eternal... I'll camp on his trail for the rest of his natural-born days. I'll have his eye-teeth for this. I'll... He swayed, gibbering with rage, his countenance frightfully contorted, his fat hands shaking as he struggled for expression. And then, while yet their own astonishment held Dorothy, Kirkwood, Brentwick, and Stryker speechless, Charles, the mechanician, moved suddenly upon the adventurer. There followed two metallic clicks, Calendar's ravings were abrupted, as if his tongue had been paralyzed. He fell back a pace, flabby jowls pale and shaking, ponderous jaw dropping on his breast, mouth wide and eyes crazed as he shook violently before him his thick, fleshy wrists, securely handcuffed. Simultaneously, the mechanician whirled about, bounded eagerly across the floor, and caught Stryker at the door, his dexterous fingers twisting in the captain's collar as he jerked him back and tripped him. "'Mr. Kirkwood,' he cried, "'here, please, one moment. Take this man's gun from him, will you?' Kirkwood sprang to his assistance, and without encountering much trouble, succeeded in wresting a Webley from Stryker's limp, flaccid fingers." Roughly, the mechanician shook the man, dragging him to his feet. "'Now,' he ordered sternly, "'you march to that corner, stick your nose in it, and be good. 
You can't get away if you try. I've got other men outside, waiting for you to come out. Understand? Trembling like a whipped cur, Stryker meekly obeyed his instructions to the letter. The mechanician, with a contemptuous laugh leaving him, strode back to Calendar, meanwhile whipping off his goggles, and clapped a hearty hand upon the adventurer's quaking shoulders. Well, he cried, and are you still sailing circles round the men from Scotland Yard, Simmons or Bellows or Sanderson or Calendar or Crumbstone or whatever name you prefer to sail under? Calendar glared at him aghast, then heaved a profound sigh, shrugging his fat shoulders and bent his head in thought. An instant later he looked up. You can't do it, he informed the detective vehemently. You haven't got a shred of evidence against me. What's there? A pile of oranges and a peck of trash. What of it? Besides, he threatened, if you pinch me, you'll have to take the girl in, too. I swear that whatever stealing was done, she did it. I'll not be trapped this way by her, and let her off without a squeal. Take me, take her. Do you hear? I think, put in the clear, bland accents of Brentwick, we can consider that matter settled. I have here, my man, nodding to the adventurer as he took up the black leather wallet, I have here a little matter which may clear up any lingering doubts as to your standing, which you may be disposed at present to entertain. He extracted a slip of cardboard and, at arm's length, laid it on the table edge beneath the adventurer's eyes. The latter, bewildered, bent over it for a moment, breathing heavily, then straightened back, shook himself, laughed shortly with a mirthless note, and faced the detective. "'It's come with you now, I guess,' he suggested very quietly. "'The barrister warrant is still out for you,' returned the man. That'll be enough to hold you on till extradition papers arrive from the States. Oh, I'll waive those, and I won't give you any trouble either, I reckon, mused the adventurer, jingling his manacles thoughtfully. I'm a back number anyway. When a half-grown girl, a half-baked boy, a flub like Mulready, damned his eyes, and a club-footed snipe from Scotland Yard can put it all over me this way, why, I guess it's up to me to go home and retire to my country place up the Hudson he sighed wearily. Yep, time to cut it out. But I would like to be free long enough to get in one good lick at that mutt Mulready. My friend, you get your hands on him, and I'll squeal on him till I'm blue in the face. That's a promise. You'll have the chance before long, replied the detective. We received a telegram from the Amsterdam police late this afternoon, saying they'd picked up Mr. Mulready with a woman named Hallam, and were holding them on suspicion. It seems, turning to Brentwick, they were opening negotiations for the sale of a lot of stones, and seemed in such a precious hurry that the diamond merchant's suspicions were roused. We're sending over for them, Miss Calendar, so you can make your mind easy about your jewels. You'll have them back in a few days. Thank you, said the girl, with an effort. Well, the adventurer delivered his peroration. I certainly am blame glad to hear it. Twouldn't have been a square deal any other way. He paused, looking his erstwhile dupes over with a melancholy eye. Then, with an uncertain nod, comprehending the girl, Kirkwood and Brentwick. So long, he said thickly, 
and turned, with the detective's hand under his arm, and, accompanied by the thoroughly cowed striker, waddled out of the room. End of chapter 19, part 2 Recording by William Tomko.